Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. I know what it was like for me to walk into a press box when I was 21 years old in 1980. There were people, and I won't name them, even though we know them, who didn't want me there. So I didn't go in there thinking, I'll use this. I was yeah. greeted with that. And I, I, didn't, I, I didn't want you there either. So, yeah, <laughs> I, luckily, I know you did, and you, and you wanted a lot of us there. And so that... I didn't even no, want to be there. Actually, <laughs> I said, well, can Will Bond do this event? Because I just... You want I... to be in an attic even in <laughs> This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. All righty, then. Um, I- I'm not going to attempt to dodge this issue. Um, everybody knows what happened with the mass shooting in Texas. Yesterday, there are shootings every day in the United States of America. Every day, innocent people are killed for no reason at all other than somebody with a gun wants to kill them. This happened on the subway the other day. A guy turned himself in last night in New York, just shot somebody to death. Just shot him to death. Um, you know, and, and we, don't need, we don't need Alex Jones to come out and say that this did not happen in Texas yesterday. It didn't happen. We don't need any of that. You know where I am politically. You know where I am on guns. I don't think I have to reiterate that. I would tell you, if you get the chance, to read Steve Kerr's statement about this. And Steve Kerr has terrible personal history. His father was gunned down in Beirut in 1984. They played that game last night. Nobody wanted to play the game. Nobody wanted to watch the game. But that's you play the game because you have to attempt to keep your life on an even keel for that. Um, our job here is to be entertaining. That's the job. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to try and do. And I'll tell you a story about my life uh, that happened yesterday and today. Is that okay if I do that? Absolutely. You know, but I will just also say this one other thing. And Michael, you observed this today as people walked by the house earlier in the morning. People taking their kids to school. Everybody's afraid. Nobody should ever be afraid. I was never afraid to walk to school. I was never afraid to take my kids to school, except when the sniper was around, because there were these guns everywhere in America. You have two young kids that you take to school. Uh, yeah, and you look at what where we are right now. We just signed uh, the bootstrap for kindergarten, and that sort of me is the entrance into some of those worries and to think what these yeah. kids have grown up. Uh, it, for some reason, there's been a greater burden on kids who are learning how to barricade themselves behind classroom doors and hide under desks. And rather keep masks than having on gun and not have any friends and not have what we would consider to be a normal growing up process, right? I, I've been incredibly lucky in terms of where my kids are age-wise for those very concerns. But again, you're sort of, you saw this on the faces everywhere around, uh, everywhere in our city this morning. We, we started the show later today. So it was, it was when the general school crowd was walking to school, you saw it on their faces. Nervousness, and I'm glumness. Sure we, this is around the entire country. Yeah. All right. I'll tell you this story. Yesterday, I have a routine of brushing my teeth that is... You up to once a day? Oh, no. It's very typical for someone like me who's <laughs> terrified of everything in life. In the morning, I brush my teeth with a regular handheld toothbrush and then brush them again with an electric toothbrush, which always makes me wonder. It's not plugged in. How does it work? <laughs> in the middle of the day, I brush my teeth in a normal manner, and at the end of the day, I use a water pick toothbrush. My dentist, the great Aldino 
Majuli, who I love very much and I think is a great dentist, says, you know, you haven't had cavities in a long time. This must be working. Just keep doing what you're doing. So yesterday morning on the second go-round with the, you know, after I brushed my teeth in the mechanical, normal manner, I then used the electric toothbrush. And I felt something in my mouth that didn't feel normal. You know, something was coming into my mouth that I, I wondered what it was. I, I always eat, I eat a lot of blackberries. Blackberries have seeds. Yes. Often at the end of the day when brushing my teeth with a water pick, pieces of the blackberries are in the sink, you know, that I did not swallow or that got lodged in my teeth. I think this happens to people. So normally. the water pick is in, is in a, sort of the place of traditional flossing. Yes, Yes. And, and so, but this happens to people if they eat berries with seeds, tomatoes, whatever. But this, you know, I looked at it. It was in the sink. I looked at it and it just didn't look normal to me, like a normal blackberry piece. So I stopped what I was doing and I picked it up in my hands and it was, you know, a blackberry seed will be malleable. You'll be able to move it around. You'll be able to squish it a little bit. This was not that. And I held it in my hand, and I turned it over, and there was bright, shiny silver to it. And so I knew that a filling had come out of my mouth at some point. Was it a whole filling, a part of a filling? I didn't know any of these things, but I went, hmm, this can't be good, right? This can't be a good thing. Okay. So I uh, texted my dentist, Dino Majuli, and I said, I explained what had happened, and I said, do you think you could see me at some point? And he arranged to see me, so it's very kind of him. He's the kindest dentist in the world. At 6.30 this morning, I'm going to open up the shop at 6.30 this morning. Now, I don't know where the filling is. I don't know where it came out. All yesterday, I told Carol about this. And Carol looked at me like I was the stupidest person. What do you mean you don't know where it came out of? And I said, I, I don't know. And she said, well, run your tongue over your teeth and you see. And I said, I've done that. I, I don't know. I don't know where this filling came out of. And I did that thing last night to try and find out where it came out of. The dangerous, potentially painful thing, ice cream. Oh, Something yes. very cold or very hot in your mouth might if you had a raw, exposed nerve because filling came out, right? Yeah, but you have sensitive teeth to begin with. To begin with. But I had no problem with the ice cream. And I had no problem last night. I had no problem this morning. You know, and so, I mean, I basically wanted to say to Carol, you know, where's your dental degree from, <laughs> right? But Carol worked for a dentist. Okay. Carol worked for Dr. Canner, you know, a long, long, long time ago when they had silver fillings. Because I know that Michael looked at me when I said a piece of silver, like, what are you talking yeah, this about? This must be the pre-second PTI contract. So this is, <laughs> this is a long time ago. They used to put silver in fillings. Mm -hmm. Silver, actual silver. So when I went to Dr. Majuli, uh, he found right away where it was. I showed him the silver, and he just looked at it. I brought it in with me. He then got rid of it. I said, you want me to take it home? And he goes, oh, that's medical waste. And he flipped it. He got rid of it. <laughs> But he said, this predates me. This filling probably was from at least 50 to 60 years ago. And he looked in my mouth and he said, you have two silver fillings left. 
You have one in your wisdom tooth on the top right and one in your wisdom tooth on the top left. Not everybody has wisdom teeth. Wait, you still have your wisdom teeth? Yes. Carol said the same thing. You still have these things? I just assumed that since they grew in my body, (laughs) I I didn't see there was something. Do I have to get rid of them? Not if it's not if it's not yeah. affecting the you know your mouth I guess it not. doesn't yeah, seem I, to be I had what are called impacted uh, wisdom teeth that right. come in like sideways so you have to take them out at that point okay well mine yeah, yours... mine didn't come in like a rat <laughs> mine came in regular like in a regular person's mouth so I still have them and I have these two fillings this came out of one of the wisdom teeth and he said you know I, we don't have silver anymore but I'll put an amalgam in there and he said you're very lucky. You don't necessarily have root damage. You don't need root canal. You don't need a crown. We can just put a filling in there right now. We can just do this, which is what he did. Now, there's a subtext to that. And he said, because he said to me at some point, if this lasts 10 to 15 years, will you consider that good? And I'll say, I'll be long gone in 10 to 15. And that is, of course, the subtext. A younger person would get a crown or root canal or something like that. And somebody like me, who's in the middle of 18, you know, with a couple of shots to go, can take the 10 years and say, okay, that's a really good deal. You know, and, and, and the other part is, it's all the way in the back of my mouth. You can't see it. I can't see it. I didn't even know where it was. I ran my tongue over. I didn't even know. Yeah. You know, so I'm so grateful for a couple of things. One, that I have a dentist who would see me the next day and open up the shop early for me, which is really nice. He's a friend. And two, that it wasn't uh, an enormous amount of work. I was afraid. Here's, here was my fear. I didn't know if we, we start, we're starting this show. We started the show around 8.30 in the morning. We usually start around 7.30 in the morning. My fear was, as I articulated to my son, that I would need Novocaine for the sensitivity of putting something in there. I would need Novocaine, and it would maybe not wear off, and I wouldn't, I'd be slurring my words. Yeah, your fears, my hopes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be slurring my words. Like but, Dudley Moore in 10, remember that? But I didn't, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't need the Novocaine. So... You know, I'm happy for yeah, that. I thought you coming. You see Trey Turner last night at that home run. <laughs> yeah, slurring. Yeah, uh, Trey Turner. Yeah, yeah. That trade hasn't worked out yet. Not yet. Uh, even up Josiah Gray and Cabert Ruiz for Trey Turner and Matt Scherzer. I don't know that that's a great trade. That game, Josiah Gray gave up three bombs Walks in the first in three runs. innings. Yeah, that's all he did. The modern game for you. That was a really. That was a bad outing. Yeah, not good. That was a bad outing. This is where you are as you as you as you reach the quarter point of the season. Is Nelson Cruz going to continue to improve his average so that we could get something in return? You know, yeah, yeah. Just you got to get rid of Bell and Cruz. They're the only thing. Has Has Robles been benched for Lane Thomas or is he hurt? I, I, no, I, I. I hope he's been benched because he should be benched. Yeah. He's not any good. I'll look that up. And see what so, because I mean, Lane Thomas was out there. But he hit really in well center this field weekend. a couple of times recently. Yeah, you, you know, because you want somebody who can hit the ball. You want somebody who can get major. You also hits. want people who can catch the ball in the twilight sun, according to Carpenter. The other day, what are you talking about? When Soto missed that ball, it was totally overcast. Twilight time. Stop. Twilight time. Stop. Said he left the game uh, with a calf injury. When? Uh, A few days ago? Yes. Okay. All right, so we'll take a break, um, and we're going to do the real show. We're going to do the real show. Should I mention this one thing? The Rufus Peabody stuff. 
We got an email from Daniel Schwartz. Daniel in Chicago said, just thought you should know that Pereira, Mito Pereira's choke, cost Rufus Peabody $150,000. Can you explain what he had done? Well, I'd say the, the choke for Mito Pereira cost Mr. Pereira close to $2 million. <laughs> That's right. So let's, and, let's and do eternal, the adjust eternal fame yeah. and, and entree into a lot of yes. events. See John Daly. Rufus wrote... Uh, a tw- uh, is this a tweet, I guess? It just yeah. says, well, that hurt. I think that's hurt. an email. Well, that hurt, he wrote. And it, at 6.48 on Sunday, he said he showed a picture of his pending bet, straight bet, $500 to win $150,000 on the other end. It's the Rufus. life of a gambler, isn't it? But Rufus, is, well, no, it doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Rufus. Yeah. But he, Rufus sets the odds for golf in America. Isn't that what Jeff said to us once? I can't remember if he's. Yeah, no, he deals. handicaps all this. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. I, I'd like to see how many bets he had going on that on that event. Oh, he didn't just have that one. Right, he sure. had forty bets. Don't you think? Yeah. That's what I would think. All right, uh, we will have Greg Cody of the Miami Herald when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Ava Anderson. This is sent to us by her dad, Bill Anderson, graduate of the University of Tennessee in 1983. He writes, I'm a big fan of PTI. It's the only show I watch every day. Thanks to you and Mike for all the work you put into the show. I recently started listening to your podcast, heard you were helping musicians, which I applaud. Musicians have been some of the hardest hit by COVID, we believe, and the recovery has been slow. My daughter Ava is a singer, songwriter, recording engineer, and live sound engineer. She worked extremely diligently to obtain a double degree from the Berklee School of Music in Boston, which is high quality, and then COVID hit. Ava's been writing music since she was seven. If you're allowed to mention her website, it is avaavaanderson.com. This is Last Call by Ava Anderson, and she's good. We'll play another song by her later. She's good. She plays in Greg Cody of the Miami Herald. And we thought we would talk about the basketball it's an unbelievably disgraceful performance by the Miami Heat starters the other night. They shot, they combined, Greg, for 18 points. It's got to be a low all-time. And they shot seven yeah. for 36. And then people want to say Tyler Hero didn't play and Jimmy Butler was hurt, but Jimmy Butler was out there. Seven for 36. I, I, I can't imagine that happening again. But when you watch something like that, you know this team. What do you think? I was dumbfounded uh, on that stage to deliver that performance was uh, really astounding. I mean, it was an all, it was an all time record for a, a low in the postseason yeah. by five starters. It was yeah. it was just unfathomable, and that's two you know that's two games in a row for for Butler where he's uh, shot six for twenty two combined. And I think you have to attribute you know it's not nerves, uh, it's not no. choking, it's Boston's defense. Um, their half-court defense has been stifling, and um, Boston's got to figure it out because right now, for me, Tony, it's a 2-2 series that feels a little lopsided toward Boston. This is so great that you said it's Boston's defense because Wilbon, 
will never say a bad word about Jimmy Butler. If he has a bad game, he says, oh, his leg is broken. <laughs> Everybody knows what tough guy he is. His leg is – Jimmy Butler and Chris Paul, oh, their legs are broken. Yeah. That's why – no, they don't want to tell you they're hurt. That's why they perform poorly. But you're watching yeah. the same game that the rest of us are watching, and they're just smothering Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Now, I, I do think that injuries have sort of been the wild card in this yes. series with Kyle yes. Lowry and – and Robert Williams, and, you know, injuries are a factor, and Butler hasn't been 100%. I don't know who is at this time of season, uh, but, but it's, been, it's been defense all the way. I mean, and, and Boston, they were missing their defensive player of the year the other night, and they still yes, smothered Miami. Smart. Yeah. You know, and, and if you're Eric Spolstra, I think the big frustration is that um, your own defense is, has been your foundation all year. I mean, defense is the heat DNA. Uh, that's what you count on. And now, all of a sudden, you're facing a team that has a better defense than you do. And that's yeah. uh, something that I don't think they've encountered yet. I should emphasize this. Marcus Smart missed the whole game. He was the defensive player of the year. Yep. You know, and he missed the whole game, and they still killed them by 300 points. And, and here's another thing. Wilbon has no defense when I say this. These series lack all drama. There's been, in this particular series, there's only been four lead changes in four games, Greg. Like, you go out early, you win the game. It's simple. There's no drama at the end. And in the other one, Golden State one, there's no drama at the end either. They're bad series, are they not? Yeah, I, I agree with you. They've been totally up and down. They've been erratic. You can't predict anything. You can't count on anything. Spolstra uh, had a fun phrase. He refers to the series as being flammable either way and and i totally agree with him he says whatever they have done to us we can do to them and i sort of agree with that there's no predictability to this it's not old school basketball where you know it's going to be decided in the last minute and a half you know it's been a crazy series so far that's that's to me is the bad thing that if you stay and you watch the game and there's no no drama at the end the, the only reason the nba is dramatic is because someone 100 years ago, well, not 100 years ago, but probably 60 years ago, had the good sense to put in the 24-second clock, which means the possessions go back and forth, which sets up for a dramatic ending, which, by the way, happens very, very often in the regular season in games you don't care about and hasn't happened really at all in the playoffs. The Boston-Milwaukee series for four or five games, it happened, but the other series, you sit there, I don't know why anybody would watch. I, I'm yeah. not sure why anybody – do you have that same feeling? Oh, yeah, but if I say that know, to Wilbon, he goes nuts. He goes nuts. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, you and I are used to basketball, particularly in the playoffs, where the last minute of a game takes five and a half minutes yep. because there's four timeouts, yep. and it's drama this and drama yep. that. And now the game ends with one player from another team dribbling the ball for 20 seconds and the other, you know, because it's over. And, and they're just waiting for the game. I said to my wife the other night watching a road game um, – both teams would, would have the game end right now. There's five minutes left, and, and if both teams could agree, they would say, yeah, let's end it right now because the game was well over, yeah. no drama, and, and that's, yeah, that can't be good for the NBA. That's what the NBA sells. They sell fabulous athleticism and drama at the end, and they're only giving you fabulous athleticism at the moment. There's no drama at the end. You mentioned Eric Spolstra. My feeling about Spolstra is he is the most overlooked an underappreciated coach in the entire NBA. And I wonder if that's because Pat Riley 
is still there and gets so much credit. And I'm not saying, Greg, that he doesn't deserve credit, but I think somehow Spolstra is still way in his shadow. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, uh, Riley is the sensei. You know, Riley is, is the forever mentor down yeah. here. Um, and, and it's always going to be like that. Even, even when he retires and he's just a memory, it's going to be like that. Having said that, uh, a lot of people were surprised when Spolster was named one of the top 15 greatest coaches all time uh, this past season. So I do think that attention uh, is, is justifiably catching up with him for sure. I agree with you. I think Spolster is great. And I think that's one of his frustrations in this series is that he's looking across the, the, the way and seeing another defense that's as good as his. I think he's a really great coach and yeah. a terrific interview, actually. I mean, I, I, I like him and Steve Kerr pretty much above everybody else. I think they're really good. Uh, let me shift gears for a second. And let me go. Last time we talked, we talked a lot about the Dolphins, but that was before they made that big trade. I think that was before yeah. that trade. Went. They just got Tyreek Hill. What, <laughs> what do you expect? Well, and, and, and you can't put any more pressure on a quarterback than they've just done. They have just said oh. to Tua, you got it, pal. And if you stink, you're out of here by week five. You're out of here because we're not going to tolerate. How did they get Tyreek Hill? Wow. Uh, so undolphin like to go all in like that and spend what they spent. I actually thought it was a great deal because when you consider that uh, one of the first round draft picks they gave up was a very low pick. I think it was 28, which is almost a second round pick. So. Yeah. It was a great deal. They they just spent as much as they had in draft capital to get him. But, Tony, it's not just Tyreek Hill that's putting all the pressure on Tua. Um, they went and signed – they just signed Sony Michelle. They've now got a running back room that's legit. Um, they signed the, the, the biggest free agent available in Terran Armstead, the, uh, the tackle, so their offensive line is better. The whole team around Tua – is better and it's it's you better not fail this time because this is absolutely your double uh, secret probation uh, last chance. So this is the interesting thing to me. Is it possible that the owner just had a memory lapse and felt he actually got Tom Brady and that Tom Brady is his quarterback? Because all of these moves are moves you would make for Tom Brady, and you know this. Tell people the story. There is. I think, do you believe there's reason to believe that they wanted Brady and they thought they had him? Uh, yeah, I do. I think every indication is that. Uh, and, uh, and, and it just fell apart when, uh, when Brian Flores wouldn't go along with uh, the skullduggery. And I say skullduggery because uh, had they gone ahead with what they were going to do, I'm not sure if it wouldn't have been tampering. I'm not sure if the NFL would have allowed uh, this marriage to happen. <laughs> It's uh, it, it was all in the shadows, but yeah, I think Stephen Ross is in his early 80s now, and um, you know, it's it's now or never for him. He doesn't have a lot of time. The, the clock is ticking for him, and he was looking for a splash with Brady. He couldn't get it, and so now he made a splash with Tyreek Hill, and and he thinks he has enough surrounding Tua uh, to to make Tua the quarterback they thought they were drafting fifth overall a couple of years ago. Let's see, but it's going to be fascinating. I think because of all we're talking about, the Dolphins are one of the most interesting teams in the NFL, which is rarely said down here for the past 20 years. Oh, no, I agree with that. And, and I also think the fact that Brady ended up in Tampa, in the state of Florida, I, I mean, I, I find it credible that Brady could have ended up in Miami. 
tampering or no tampering. I do. I find that credible. Don't you? You do as well. Yeah, I, I do. And and parenthetical to all this, uh, I and I wrote a column on this a, a few months ago. I think Tom Brady is the future part owner of the Dolphins. He has a great relationship. He has, he's really? building a home down. Yeah, he's building a home down here. He has a great relationship with Stephen Ross and an even better relationship with Bruce Beal, the owner in waiting for Miami. Uh, they have partied together at the Kentucky Derby and elsewhere. They're close friends. And, and I think Brady is positioned to uh, have a piece of the Dolphins in the future if he wants it. Where's he building a house? Is it near a good golf course now that he wants to play golf all the time? Where's he building a house? He may be building a house and a golf course, as far as I, I can tell, with, uh, with all the money he and Giselle have. Uh, it, it's, it's in Miami. It's actually, um, um, I don't want to give an address. No, but <laughs> I mean, you don't have to do it's that. Actually what? Very similar, it's a very similar uh, neighborhood to where Don Shula uh, used to live. Well, that's on the that's on the island, right? That's yep. on the island where Indian Creek is. Yes, correct. Fantastic! We could get Brady to give us, you know, free <laughs> green service. You know, Brady could comp our fees there. That's, Indian Creek is great fun. I played yeah. Indian Creek. My son Michael learned how to play golf at Indian Creek. Oh, that's wow. a cool place. Doesn't yeah. doesn't uh, Julio Iglesias's kid have a house there as well? Uh, I think he used to. I'm not sure if he still does, but. They, they, yeah, I mean, the, the the top of the top live in Indian Creek. I think there's only like uh, 20 houses in the whole yeah. enclave. Well, don't worry about spilling the beans on that. Come on, it's a protected island. It's a gated island, all of that. That's true. Um, <laughs> I've only been uh, there once. I'm not, I'm not important enough to have played the golf course, but uh, I do know the area. Um, question, and, and it's a question that everybody who doesn't live in Miami has when they watch a baseball game. And I watch the baseball games because I watch the Nats. And they were just in Miami a week ago. Yep. How can this franchise still exist? Nobody goes to these games. What, what is this? Yeah, it's been sad. And I would love to blame the bad luck of, uh, of the Panthers and Heat playoffs uh, overshadowing the start of Marlins season. I would love it if that were a legit excuse. But it's not. it isn't because they don't draw, <laughs> period. And, uh, you know, we don't know yet whether – the answer is winning because they don't win down here. And supposedly uh, they were going to win this year, and, and now they don't, and it's the same old Marlins. They win a few in a row, they lose Well, they're better than the Nats. They got some pitching, and they're better than the Nats. I mean, I watched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have some pitching, but they're also squandering that pitching by not having enough run support. Um, they, they didn't spend enough, plainly. They didn't spend enough in free agency. They should have gotten a couple of more big bats down here and uh yeah they're they're in they're in a sad situation i don't know what the future of the franchise is um but they need to win to give themselves a chance that's for sure greg thanks a lot we'll talk soon give my best to levitard as well yep anytime tony greg cody boys and girls of the miami herald will take a break when we come back pat 40 will join us i'm tony kornheiser Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This 
is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Ava Anderson, and her website is avaanderson.com. This is a song called Tennessee. And Ava herself sent us a note, said, if it's possible to mention, I have a gig at the Red Lion in New York City on June 4th with my duo partner, Reed Silverstein. We're going to play from 1 to 4 p.m. Additionally, all upcoming events can be found on the website. Isn't that nice? It's fantastic. Maybe she'll listen to her own self when she sings. Um, If people like Ava Anderson or her dad, Bill Anderson, want to send in original music, Michael, how do they do it? Please send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And are we selling anything today? Uh, Yes, we still have the code TKTRAP. You have a few more days to to try and get out of that trap. Again, the, uh, the Calcutta short will take you into the early summer. Did you see, by the way, that Bones yeah. had on a Johnny O shirt the other day? We got an email about that. I wonder that. if he used the code. Bones wearing Johnny O. <laughs> oh, well, he should. Yeah. He should use it. Use the code, Bones. All right, this plays in Pat 40. Before we get to Pat, I have this email here from Pat Dealey. I was at a pre-derby party with a prominent sports columnist and his Olympic daughter a couple of Fridays ago. We were talking ponies. I'm a horse racing super fan, so as we were comparing notes, I made a comment that if this horse wins, I'll quit playing the ponies, and the horse's name was Rich Strike. (laughs) I'd like to take this opportunity to tell Pat that I lied. (laughs) That's your boy, right? That's Plants to Porch, Pat Dealey, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Dealey, who is an absolute hardcore horse guy, and uh, neither he nor I saw Rich Strike coming, literally or figuratively. I'll just start with that. Well, I want to talk mainly about Saban and uh, and Jimbo Fisher, but let me start with that. You're in Louisville. You're supposed to know this stuff. Um, this horse, it's 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 unbelievable. The horse isn't even in the field until Friday morning. Nobody has any particular regard for him. It's we're two weeks out from this now. Are people still talking about it? Um, yeah, I think so. Just because, well. Not just because, but also because he did not run in the Preakness. Right. Uh, you know, if he'd right. run in the Preakness and finished seventh or something, then I think people would say, okay, now we at least officially know that that was a fluke and we never have to think about Rich Strike again. But right. uh, he's now got this kind of element of intrigue and, and a, certainly a unique spot uh, because of that. And, you know, I, he's actually, he is still, he worked at. Uh, at Churchill Downs on Preakness Day, so he's still kind of around. I mean, the the Reed Farm is near Lexington, so it's a local story, uh, and it's an incredible story. I mean, it, not just this horse coming out of nowhere, but the trainer and his family. My gosh. Uh, anyway, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's still it's a, certainly a a curiosity, I think, and and will be until he runs in Belmont. We see uh, what he looks like then. Do you agree with the Belmont strategy? I mean, to me, oh, I mentioned this to Andy Byer the other day. I'd never run the horse again. I'd see what I could get in stud fees. And Andy said, his pedigree's terrible. It's not going to get anything. It's not going to matter. Run the horse. And then if the horse is even better, you know, then there's an upside to that. What What are your feelings about that? Yeah, I, you know, as much as unspringing a triple crown doesn't help the racing industry. I think it was the right thing to do with the horse. I do. I, you know, I don't think that he had any chance uh, in the Preakness. Uh, I think they felt all along that he was, uh, a, 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 no matter what happened in the Derby, that, that he was going to be a Belmont horse. So as, as Eric Reed, the trainer's dad, said to me, Eric knows he ain't got but one good horse. 
So you've got to take <laughs> care of the horse. And so this was taking care of the horse to try to maximize what he could do. Um, you know, it's weird to not try to win a triple crown, but I think they're trying to win the races they can. I would imagine if the horse is actually working at Churchill Downs still, that people pass the horse and they just shake their heads and they go, how did that happen? Right? They got to say that. How did that happen? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because he, he worked on Preakness Day, which kind of was almost a, a slap in the face. The race. You yeah, bet. You, you know? bet. Slap in the face. And I think there were there were certainly people that were watching and saying, really, uh, you know, you're at the wrong track, buddy. You need yeah. to be in Baltimore. Uh, but yeah, I think among horsemen, yeah. I mean, I'll never forget talking to Steve Asmussen, who has Epicenter and thought he was going to win his first derby after coming close many times and, and not winning one. And, and he said, you know, at the top of the stretch, everything you've ever dreamed of is right there in place. Oh, and yeah. by the way, you're going to get caught by a claimer before the wire. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's, Come on. I mean, yeah. it's one of those results that you do just kind of shake your head and laugh at. You're going to be caught by a claimer on the rail who started out on the farthest position outside and somehow went left. I mean, just it was, it was just a bizarre, uh, you know, totally. When you watch it on the replay, you go, wow, look at this. It's weird. All right, let me get to – you wrote about this in Sports Illustrated yesterday with Sabin and, and Fisher. What, what is the deal here? I mean, at one point – Jimbo Fisher worked for Nick Saban. I assumed they were friends. They are the furthest thing but friends now. If you had to blame one or the other, if you had to say this this guy looks – they both look bad, this guy looks even worse. Who do you think looks even worse? Because they both look bad. Well, they do. Um, I mean, you have to certainly point out Saban started it. He did. Uh, but boy, boy, did Jimbo escalate it. And then it got – so personal that it was almost kind of uncomfortable. It was like this live microphone is now I'm on a therapist's couch and I'm going to unload every uh, grievance I've ever had against this yeah. man over the yeah. last 20 years. And I mean, it was, it was crazy. Uh, so I think ultimately people came away from it. Like what the heck's wrong with Jimbo? You know, I mean, that's my said, feeling. I think realized, yeah, yeah that, that Saban, Saban did did go there and went there with kind of reckless language, saying they bought every player in their class. As, you know, wasn't very specific. Didn't say how it happened, uh, any of that. But then the the emotional, borderline vicious response from uh, from Fishers. I think what people will will remember from this. Uh, the great line by Steve Spurrier, who I just love, and he still hates Florida State University, and he hates Jimbo Fisher for ever going there, was he said, well, what did Saban say that wasn't true? <laughs> right? I mean, you can't he, – he's the best. Spurrier is the best, right? <laughs> yeah. No, that, that – Spurrier started with that and then said, you know, well, I, you know, he beat Nick, so, so I guess he can talk now. Uh, he hasn't beaten much of anybody. <laughs> classic Spurrier. I mean, just yeah. I miss that those those little digs that he was so good at. Uh, but you know, I, I think uh, yes, he does not like Florida State or anybody that ever had anything That's to do right. with that with yeah, Florida State. Right. But I think there's also a feeling that no, that, that Texas A&M used its uh, collective and. Uh, the potential, at least, for inducements to, to sign this class, and that's that. And if you if you want to try to deny it, you can. But for them to all of a sudden bring in 
one of the greatest classes in recruiting history in the first year that you can do uh, name, image, and likeness, I don't think it's a coincidence. Were they ever pals? I mean, they were pals, right? Fisher worked for Saban. Yeah, I mean, they, they at least were colleagues. Uh, you know, there's been some stories that come out since that, that Jimbo kind of bristled a little bit, that, that he thought that Saban was too defensive-oriented and that all the credit went to the defense and that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I had never gotten the impression at all that they were antagonists until suddenly, boy, were they antagonists. Can I ask the obvious question here? Given that name, image, and likeness exists, why can't you buy all the players? It's not illegal <laughs> to have boosters buy all the players. Why can't you do it? Well, here's the thing. and I mean, boy, we're talking about a very thin line between the way the rule is written and the way the rule has been executed. Uh, you know, that you're supposed to not use uh, name, image, and likeness as a recruiting inducement. You're not supposed to really? make offers before, yeah, before they arrive. The, what are you, nuts? Way- How are you going to get them? <laughs> well, what? That, that's a great question. And, and, and predictably, the NCAA has said almost nothing about how they're going to get them. Uh, you know, I mean, so this is the problem. You know, we've got a semantics argument, basically, is like, well, you, you know, Bryce Young was paid somewhere in the neighborhood of seven figures, according to Nick Saban, before he even started a game at Alabama. But he'd been there for a year, so he was already enrolled when he got his name, image, and likeness. It wasn't part of being recruited, whereas... Obviously, what's going on elsewhere, that is the, the, the case. So, I mean, it's silly, but that's where we are. So I said this on PTI yesterday. I said, Nick Saban will not say this publicly, but privately to his inner circle, he's going to say the following few sentences. He's going to say, oh, we're not going to get outbid by Texas A&M. I don't care if they're in the oil business, as Dan Jenkins would say. We're in the football business. We're not losing players to that guy and that school. And so fabulous that Jimbo Fisher says the best educational plant in the country. Texas A&M, give me a break. Stop with this. So don't you think that's what's going to happen? And Nick Saban, Nick Saban has now explained his anger as what's going on. But he's not going to let anybody outbid them. He'll find people at Alabama to just throw cash at everybody, won't he? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the key words in this thing were A&M was first in recruiting, we were second. It's not He's not that right. concerned about the principle of this. He's concerned about being second. He doesn't right. finish second, right. Right. at least not happily. So, yeah, they're going to play by whatever the rules of engagement are, not necessarily the rules of the NCAA. So I would anticipate that they very much jump into a – Name, image, and likeness as collective recruiting uh, mode. It's interesting that they hadn't until this point. And, you know, there's kind of uh, twin theories on that. It's first of all, yeah, that they, they were trying to do things the way the NCAA said that they should, or be the boosters are just like, we're Alabama. We don't have to do that. Uh, right. But I think when, when you finish second, then the boosters may look at it differently and say, yeah, we'll pony up now. Now, I mean, Alabama is, you know, if, if this is purely just going to be about which boosters have the most money, then you're going to see USC and Notre Dame probably shoot to the forefront of this. But uh, there's a lot of alums at A&M, and certainly I would think there's enough alums who care very much about Alabama being number one who will give Nick Saban a lot of money. I'll add another one if you're going to talk about alums with money. I'll keep Texas. I'll just drop the A&M. UT. Yeah. 
Yeah, they got old. There's just not any more money in the world than those people have. Uh, you mentioned in your story in Sports Illustrated that the guy who's dying here is the is the commissioner of the SEC because he's watching his people fight, and it, it can't be good. The SEC is by far the best football conference. This cannot be a good look for them, right? No, it's not because – while they are the best football conference, they're also a, a bit of a caricature of by any means possible. And yes. They, they, they don't like that image, even if it's an accurate image. They want to be seen as, well, we're still we're very serious, prestigious academic institutions and please, a conference yeah, of great stop. integrity please. and collegiality. And <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. yeah, Greg Sankey's like, this is, this is just mortifying to him. Uh, next week, Tuesday, Tony, SEC spring meetings in Destin, Florida begin 8.30 a.m. Football coaches. So Jimbo and Nick Saban have to get in the same room together. Uh, I would bet a lot of money that Greg Sankey will have a little pre-meeting meeting with you those bet. two and say, you bet. this is how we're going to handle this. <laughs> and then they're going to come out of that meeting and they're going to have to say things to the media. And this is what we're going to say. So that's going to be really interesting. I'll be there. Uh, and I will try to get some popcorn for it because it could be good. <laughs> I agree. And then if you don't like that, on October 8th at Tuscaloosa, you know, you got, you got Texas A&M at Alabama this year, not like the other way around. We'll see what happens. Thank you, Pat. Thank, thank you as always. Hey, my pleasure, Tony. Thank you. Pat Forty, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We'll have email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. liquid it's like whales giving birth it's wonderful (laughs) jeremy vint it's just wonderful descent into the shark tank by the way we got uh, a lovely uh, gift from brett wiskins yes late bloomer his new cd very very nice in in which he sort of on the back of it thanks this show isn't that nice which is really nice late bloomer brett wiskins very very nice you want to do the bethesda bagel ad bethesda bagels we love them you will as well just go to bethesdabagels.com for the location in the dc area nearest you then pop on in and you'll be thrilled That's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say I hope everyone can make it out to Villipianos out by the airport this weekend to see Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. (laughs) Such a great movie. (laughs) Thanks to our guests today, Greg Cody, Pat Forty. Thanks to today's sponsor, ZipRecruiter Progressive Insurance. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Okay. From Claire Natola. I got a message for Eli Cruikshank, who's hoping for a guest spot on the pod. Get in line, kid. I've been waiting since your dad was going out with cheerleaders. 
From Richard Mermelstein. Young Eli's typo-ridden email struck a painful chord. When I was about his age in 1976, I applied for a prestigious internship as a SUNY Albany journalism student covering the state legislature for Newsday. Yes, you and I would have been colleagues, and even better, the internship paid $250 a week at a time when my rent was $60 per month. There were a couple of dozen applicants, and the field was narrowed down to two of us. But I came in second because, as the editor told me when he called to give me the bad news, of a typo in my resume. My heart goes out to Eli. My life would have been dramatically different but for that typo. The two prior Newsday interns had successful careers in journalism, one at the L.A. Times and the other at the New York Post, pre-Murdoch. I became a lawyer. Enough said. Kids, proof your stuff. Put it down. <laughs> proof it again. I'll hang up and listen to your confirmation. Yes. Yeah, proof it. Yes, you, go, you can't send it out. You have to make sure. S- give it to someone else to read as well. It's the way Stay it in the fight, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> in there, man. From uh, Alexis Pereira in Queens, New York. I bet you're wondering if Mito Pereira is in my family after his collapse on Sunday. Not anymore. <laughs> From Jordan in Berkeley, California. Who do you think was sweating more? Mito Pereira on the 18th tee at Southern Hills on Sunday or Tilda Swinton <laughs> in the bathroom at the beginning of Michael Clayton? That's such a great scene. It's brilliant. Tilda Swinton is so great in that movie. From Tim in Alexandria. Just wondering if you know whether or not Bones used the code. And it's a picture of <laughs> Jim Mackay Bones with a Johnny O shirt. Yeah. Looking good. What's the code, Michael? The TK Trap. Absolutely. From Tom Daly in New Haven, Connecticut. Last Monday, you compared Rich Strike's victory in the Derby to John Daly's victory in the PGA. If you consider these to be the two greatest upsets in sports, who would complete the Mount Rushmore of upsets? My candidates are Buster Douglas and Roly Massimino's 1985 Villanova Wildcats. Your thoughts? Buster Douglas, maybe. Sure. You know, Buster Douglas, maybe. Nobody saw that coming. Not Villanova. Villanova's in the same conference as Georgetown. That was the third time they played that year. And that's not that's not close to Mount Rushmore. It's not in the top hundred. It's a wonderful game. It's a great upset, but it's not it's not like Chaminade beating Virginia. They're in the same conference. Right. Stop it. From C. D. Bradley in Marietta, Georgia, twenty years ago when these fingers still typed. And I was a young newspaper reporter. I took an early morning flight from Louisville to Tampa on the way to a job interview with the Sarasota Herald Tribune. I didn't get the job, but I sat across the aisle from Paul Horning, the golden boy himself. So the trip was not a total loss. From Quaig McQuillan in Sydney, Australia. In September of 1996, I was visiting New York City and I saw Rent on Broadway. So did I. Sitting right in front of me was the great Monica Sellis. For obvious reasons, I didn't tap her on the shoulder for an autograph. As an Aussie, I have in my bag the Aussie versus Uruguay World Cup qualifier in Sydney, which saw Australia progress to the World Cup for the first time in 30-odd years. Not globally famous, but for an Aussie, spectacular. Brad Weiss, our friend in Carborough, North Carolina. I thought I'd pull this one out of my pocket and see if it floats. When I was a high school kid, my dad was on the med school faculty at USC and had sideline passes. He served as the head and neck injury honcho back in the John Robinson era. The singular game I will not soon forget was one between USC and Notre Dame in 1978. SC pulled out to a commanding lead in the first half, but Notre Dame made an amazing comeback to take the lead with three touchdowns in the fourth. SC down by one with 46 seconds to play, went down the field, won the game in the last second field goal. November 25th, 1978. That would have been exciting enough, but even better, I spent the game standing next to Anthony Munoz, who watched from the sidelines with torn ligaments in his knee. Keith Van Horn took a Novocaine injection in his shoulder at halftime so he could keep playing. I asked him how he felt at the end of the game. He said it hurt like hell, but he didn't give up. <clears throat> Tinker's cuss. <laughs> Best of all, I got run over on the sidelines by Joe Montana as he took off on yet another drive-saving scramble. So it may not be Flutie to Phelan, but I'll take it. From Keith Borland in Tucson, Arizona. 
You mentioned there should be a who we sat next to set of email stories. While not perfect, this one might fit. Had a flight from Seattle to Phoenix badly delayed, and I sat in an airport bar, irritated and perhaps imbibing a bit past my limit. An equally irritated traveler sitting a few seats down from me noticed my Patriots hat, announced he was a Dolphins fan. One thing led to another, and the trash talk began to fly between us. While I was jawing at him, my view was suddenly eclipsed by an enormous man who had walked up to the bar in the space between myself and the Dolphins fan. He was wearing a red hat with gold headphones hanging around his neck and a T-shirt that said, Beast Mode. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch, pretty much wearing a T-shirt that said, I am Marshawn Lynch. My voice cracked as I sheepishly let out a hi, Marshawn. In a low grumble, he responded, what's up? Then ordered a couple of drinks and sat at a table with a female companion. The Dolphin fan and I looked at each other, shrugged. We didn't say another word. I didn't get to say anything to him the rest of the time I was there as I couldn't think of anything to ask other than if 5 and 11 is, in fact, not very good. From Chuck Elias in South Hadley, Massachusetts. My mother-in-law only sneezes in sevens. Yeah, not annoying at all. (laughs) (laughs) Sean in Booth Bay, Maine. Oh, great. Now, every time I sneeze, I have to stop and ask myself how many was that. (laughs) Gus in South Glens Falls, New York. When my wife sneezes, it's not two or three. It's more like six to eight. Very useful when our girls were young. That's how they learned to count, much to her constant annoyance. (laughs) Tim in the Midwest. I've never even tasted coffee ice cream in my life, and yet I've spent five minutes in the freezer aisle looking for Dunkin' Coffee ice cream. This show really stinks. Uh, James Carroll, Denver, Colorado. A couple weeks ago, Greg Garcia told the story about how, when he was a kid, he unintentionally started a fire in the parking lot of his local elementary school. While feigning innocence, his father offered to walk over to the local Baskin-Robbins for some ice cream. This moment caught my attention because I grew up down the street from Nottingham Elementary in Arlington, Virginia, and I've made the same walk to the same Baskin-Robbins many times. While it certainly tickled me to finally have my first David Aldridge moment, I write to you concerning a more urgent matter. You must try the Jamocha ice cream flavor from Baskin-Robbins. As a fellow coffee ice cream connoisseur, I share your pain in being repeatedly disappointed in the selection of coffee ice cream offered on the market. As a kid who grew up on Baskin-Robbins, yes, the same one that Greg mentioned on the show, I swear by the Jamocha ice cream flavor from Baskin-Robbins. In my 25 years on this earth, I have not come across a coffee-flavored ice cream to rival it. While Baskin-Robbins does not sell regular Jamocha at grocery stores, select Baskin-Robbins locations, carry the flavor in-store, and allow you to purchase flavors to be scooped on site. I did some research. I found that the Baskin-Robbins at 4905 Cordell in Bethesda does in fact carry Jamocha. Perhaps the next time Nigel visits Bethesda Bagels, he could make a slight detour and bring home some coffee-flavored ice cream to boot. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And tell Greg that the Baskin-Robbins location he referred to in his story has since been in co- converted into a Dunkin' Donuts. It stinks. It's <laughs> nice to know. Daniel Baker. To follow up on Bill Isaacson's email from last week about his brother Bob and me, I was indeed voted by my classmates to speak at my Marquette University High School graduation. However, I did not displace the valedictorian Charles Wang. Charles and I shared the stage that day along with the school's phys ed teacher, Mr. F- Fannerstill. My speech was lighthearted and included a few cracks about our all-girls sister school, Divine Savior, Holy Angels. The Jesuits must not have thought too highly of my presentation because that was the last year the seniors were allowed to vote for a class speaker. P.S. Wondering if I could be considered as the pod's official supplier of equipment and supplies to the commercial laundry dry cleaning trade. Absolutely. It's a coveted position, but yes. Absolutely. Should I do one more? Sure. This is from Catherine Alvey. I'm writing to inform you how much your sea salt rant has provided me and my family with endless hours of entertainment. 
My six-year-old son got so much enjoyment out of it, we listened to that particular podcast repeatedly and quoted quite often. Case in point, on a recent trip to Gettysburg, we were swimming in the hotel pool when the maintenance crew came by to adjust the pool water by pouring in bags of what appeared to be salt. We looked at each other and asked, sea salt? The maintenance guys responded and said it was Epsom salt, but we don't believe them because they really do put sea salt in everything. I'd like to inform you that New Balance, a brand of shoe which I believe you prefer, where, aren't we supposed to get some of those, by the way? It's coming out with a new model that would be available for purchase on May 26th. Is that tomorrow? May yes. 26th? Yes. The name, you ask, is none other than the New Balance 990 V3 Sea Salt with a minimal yet striking color palette. According to an informative article about the shoe, the designer created the shoe with a mesh underlay, and a majority of the leather overlays are doused in its sea salt hue with small notes of rain cloud dispersed across the collar, toe boxes, and logos. I guess as long as the color's view isn't Himalayan sea salt, it's okay. After looking at the pictures, I have another color description with the general population who may not be as familiar with sea salt as us littles can use. White. <laughs> it's white. And I like white sneakers, so look, somebody send me those. Yeah, they look good. Ooh, from Matt Vogel in Coventry, Connecticut. Michael has a 15-foot pole saw. Yeah, it's, it's extendable. Is there any chance I could borrow it for an hour or two? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's good. Make sure oh, you, Tony sure Beeson sent a picture of Bud Grant. It's, is Bud Grant's 95th birthday? Yeah. And it, he it, sent it, a picture of Bud Grant with Johnny Walker Blue and some other stuff. A monkey. I believe that's yeah. a stuffed Reginald right there. Daniel, Buck, Daniel Buckley from Gansevoort, New York, which is north of Saratoga Springs. I counted five robin's nests on my property today. There's probably more. Oh, has the woodpecker come back? We should ask, where's Henry, the woodpecker? Henry and Liz had to chase the woodpecker in our backyard. Ben Carton, not that Ben Carton. I was thinking about your sand problem, never getting out of it onto the course. Then I remembered how much you trashed sand when it went into the Toy <laughs> Hall of Fame. If I remember, I'm sure sand remembers too. And sand will never let you forget it. Good luck. Maybe if you apologize to sand, your bunker game will improve. Oh, I use the Wegmans Pharmacy in Timonium. Fantastic. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you.
Please take me back. 